You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All right. Well, good evening, everyone. And we are looking at our sixth companion along the way. And uh, the person we're going to be looking at tonight is a not a household name. Uh, nobody's heard of him. I had never even heard of him until uh, about uh, a month and a half ago. And uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about him. But I want to situate what we're going to be doing with uh, first by reading a passage of scripture. I think that uh, will frame what we're going to be looking at quite well. First Corinthians chapter one, Paul says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And then he says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So this is an important passage because I think it kind of frames uh, the man that we're going to be looking at tonight. His name is Benjamin Lay. And again, uh, two months ago, if you asked me who Benjamin Lay was, I, I couldn't have told you. And, uh, and, and that's surprising for me. It was surprising for me because one, I kind of pride myself on knowing a little bit about church history. I know church history. I know some of the major figures. I should know the major figures. Secondly, as I'm fairly familiar with the 18th century and especially the abolitionist movement. Um, but I ended up reading about this guy, Benjamin Lay, in a fascinating book, by the way. Mandatory reading. I will lay out a book that you need to read. It's called Dominion by Tom Holland. Not to be confused with Spider-Man, Tom Holland. He could not write those types of books yet. But he's a quite a well-known historian, Tom Holland, Dominion. I'll tell you, this book is getting a lot of um, press right now. Um, it's on how Christianity uh, has affected the entire history of the West. How it's affected the, the history of the world. And it does so in such interesting ways. Boy, I'll tell you, it's a fascinating book. But tonight we're talking about Benjamin Lay, not Dominion. Um, so the, uh, I asked a buddy of mine about Benjamin Lay. I said, uh, what should I read? I mean, what, what is this? What, what's the, the, the biography on Benjamin Lay? Do you know of anything? So I asked my friend Bill Reimer at Regent Bookstore, who knows every single book on the, that's ever been written. And he told me about this book. And it's called The Fearless Benjamin Lay. And... Um, it's quite the read. I just, uh, yeah, um, it's quite a read because it's about a, this man, Benjamin Lay, who uh, stood four feet tall. 
And as I read about him, he only grew in my estimation in terms of uh, his life and his influence. And so tonight we're going to look closely at his life, okay? So let's pray as we uh, start. Lord, we do pray that um, this would not just be information about somebody we've never heard of, but it would be transformative and you would speak intersecting points into our own lives and our own walk with you. So we commit tonight to you. Go before us in all that we do and say, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let me give you a bit of background. Um, and what I think I'll do is I will, um, I will uh, share my screen because I'll show you, I have some, some images that will uh, hopefully help you. So, okay, let's keep companions with Benjamin Lay. So that's uh, a famous picture. We're going to come back. So that's the book, Marcus Redeker. Fearless Benjamin Lay, the Quaker dwarf who became the first revolutionary abolitionist. Uh, let me give you a bit of background. Uh, Benjamin Lay was born in Essex, England, 1682, and he was a Quaker. So what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean this. Uh, I don't know if you know the story of Quaker Oats. They actually has nothing to do with Quakers. They just thought the image of a Quaker was pretty wholesome, and so they threw it on it. But it actually has no history with Quakers. Um, Quakers actually are very different than what you're going to see here. Um, Quakers, um, they emerge. They emerge in the in the mid 1600s. Uh, uh, they emerge out of the English um, Revolution in the mid 1600s as a, as a movement. It was a movement of commoners who saw lots of radical changes happening in the world. And they sought to strike while the iron's hot and introduce their own solutions to the problems that were facing the world. And so they mixed in some pretty radical egalitarian um, ideas. And uh, they, along with uh, some other kind of uh, egalitarian movements, uh, movements with such great names as, uh, as the, um, uh, the levelers, <laughs> The seekers, the ranters, uh, how do you like that one? The ranters and the diggers, right? And uh, among these, you got the Quakers. Now, what did the Quakers want? Well, they like, wanted what everyone else did. They wanted to establish a godly republic of radical equality. And uh, so they get into some trouble, though. They get into some trouble because they, um, because they're, because they're, they're arguing for egalitarian ideas in a highly class-conscious society. You think 18th century England. Uh, they get in a lot of trouble. They're given all sorts of names. They're labeled um, antinomians, um, which in this case, antinomian is as, as, as probably a, as a lot deeper meaning than, than the way sometimes it's used in a pejorative sense. But in this sense, it was it was used as these guys, they were... They, they didn't follow the laws. They didn't follow the ways, the established uh, ways of society. Um, they were lawless. They didn't keep up with the, with the traditions of the day. And uh, the uh, leaders of the Quakers, I mean, um, some of the leaders were, uh, one guy, his name is uh, James Naylor of Yorkshire. And uh, the other leader, the main leader, does anybody know who's uh, founded the uh, Quakers? Any Quakers in our midst? You have to unmute yourself if you're yelling it out. Ah, 
The guy's name is George Fox, who is a shoemaker from Leicester. Leicester, sure, 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 sure. I think you have to drop a few syllables when you say English town names. Leicester. Um, and uh, he was known. He was no. He was a person who, who uh, uh, genuinely was seeking seeking God um, and and not finding God and uh, doing whatever he could in order to um, to find God and uh, you know speaking to different clergy and it was and God just seemed so elusive until he heard a voice say to him, "There is no one, even Jesus Christ, that meaning only Jesus Christ." that can speak to your condition. Only Jesus can speak to you. And so he recognized that God can speak directly to him. The Holy Spirit spoke directly to him. That means you don't need to go through some kind of mediator. Um, God can speak directly. And when God spoke directly to George Fox, something happened. Can you guess? He began to quake. Yeah, it's true. And he would always preach to the people that would listen to him. They said, you need to tremble before the Lord. And so they were given this name, and I believe it was a pejorative name, Quakers. Um, but they were kind of a people that, as I said, radically egalitarian. So there's no, there's no baptism, no communion. It's just we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, we are friends. That's a, the term that they would use. We're friends or children of the light gathered together. And each person can hear from God themselves. Thank you very much, right? So these Quakers were, were quite, um, it, was, it was a growing movement in the mid-1600s. Now, they did a couple of things that uh, really ticked off people. Um, they refused hat honor. What does that mean? Well, it meant that they're like, if everyone's equal, why do I need to tip my hat to someone who's, who's of a higher level of society? I don't need to tip my hat. And when people gather to pray and people take off their hats, why do we need to take off our hats? We're all equal. We don't need to take off our hats. So they refused hat honor. Um, they, uh, they would make public rants against established ministers. If there's a pastor that was speaking and they didn't like it, they would just shut them down. Glad there's no Quakers at Coquitlam Alliance. Um, thirdly, they would, uh, they would partake in things called, uh, is this kind of street theater, this very provocative street theater. And, um, and they would do some strange things. So don't think of these, these proper little people as Quakers. I mean, these Quakers are pretty radical and they would, in order to make their points, they would do these strange things in public squares. Often, often they would, they would go, they would sometimes go, uh, they would try to shock people. And so one way to shock people is, is talk about, hey, we don't need to follow the law. So we don't need to wear clothes. And so they would go, you know, kind of wander around naked in the public square. And so that would get people's attention. Um, and so the goal of the, of the Quakers was to shock people out of complacency. And so they held their religious services in a bunch of different places, in, in, in private homes and barns and fields and streets. Why? Because what is a church? Well, the church is simply the gathered people of God. We are friends. We are children of light. So we don't need a church. We have Zoom. And this is good enough. Well, no, this, if we were Quakers today, right? So these Quakers have a big influence on Benjamin's life. And uh, so Benjamin, let's talk about him for a little bit, about his, his early life. Um, one of the things that really shaped Benjamin's life, well, he was... Um, 
was his, uh, his desire to become a sailor. Again, he's uh, this uh, young man and he, uh, he takes off, he wants to see the world. So he ends up being a sailor. Uh, he lived in the cramped conditions of, um, of uh, a ship, an 18th century ship. And uh, so, you know, he'd sleep in a hammock. I guess when you're four feet tall, it wasn't so crowded, but uh, still, um, he would uh, sail with other sailors, and, uh, and, and usually the ships were quite multi-ethnic. Uh, he would travel to the wide open sea. Uh, he would experience the terror and the wonder of storms. He ate from a simple wooden bowl in common with his shipmates. Um, he slept in a hammock. Yeah, again, he went and he experienced all that went into the dangerous calling of, of, of a sailor. Now, these challenges that he faced as a sailor, again, they were exacerbated by the fact that he was quite, he was not only only four feet tall, he was hunchback. And uh, to be a hunchback in the um, 18th century, um, you know, people saw you, they'd make fun of you. You're also seen as, as bad luck if a hunchback was around you. If you get touched by a hunchback, that was seen at one point uh, as, as bad luck. And, and so this is something else that he had to kind of fight up against. But despite his uh, physical limitations, I mean, lay... As a sailor, he just wanted to see the world. And so he took whatever opportunity he could to see as much as he could. So he, he traveled the Ottoman Empire. He visited Samaria. Um, and so his, his experience was quite cosmopolitan. And uh, he says one time, he says, quote, truly and sincerely, um, well, he says, he, uh, he says, God truly and sincerely desires the present and eternal welfare and happiness of all mankind, all the world over of all colors, all nations, and his own soul. In fact, Benjamin Lay, he was so, he so loved God's creation. And, uh, and he treated people um, with a pretty strong sense of equality. Um, he also had a deep love for animals, for all of God's creation. And uh, for his whole life, he, um, he's a vegetarian, right? And, um, as, as a vegetarian, you know, he just, he uh, only ate vegetables and um, he only drank water. Uh, he would not ride a horse because he thought it was cruel to the horse. So he walked everywhere. Um, he, uh, he, he, you'd see, you always would see him with his little walking stick uh, traveling every, everywhere he wanted to go. His wife, he got married in uh, 1718 to uh, Sarah Smith, who was also you know, who was also a dwarf. She was also vertically challenged. She was quite short, a hunchback. Um, and from what we know, they were married for, I think, 17 years and they had a very loving marriage. She was older than he was. Um, and uh, she predeceased him by, by a few years, which we'll talk about. So one of the big things that affects uh, Benjamin Lay is um, his experience when he and his wife, Sarah, they, they visited um, Barbados. There's the Ottoman Empire, yeah. Um, and so when he visited Barbados, um, I mean, Barbados was was a pretty rough place. Um, in fact, before we get into his experience in Barbados, I, because this is all shaping the kind of person that Benjamin Lay uh, becomes. What I thought it would be an interesting conversation to have, just, just briefly, we won't spend too much time. What time is it? Um, yeah, yeah, spend a few minutes doing this. I want you to break into groups. And I want you to answer this one question. What is one thing from your past? One thing about how you grew up. 
um, that has shaped how you see the world and how you live your life today. So some of you, you know, I grew up in a small town, Ontario, and that affects how I see the world. Or I grew up, you know, in this kind of context, and that affects how I see the world. I grew up as the youngest or as the eldest. Or I grew up in, you know, this, this, this country and this culture, and that affects me. So just take a few moments. What is one thing from your past that has shaped how you see the world and how you live your life today? I'll break into groups. Uh, again, we won't do this for very long. Um, all right, so we're going to carry on with um, Benjamin Lay. I mean, it's interesting. I, like, our stories do shape us, right? And, and Benjamin Lay's uh, story, his experiences, uh, certainly at sea, um, affected how he saw the world. But one thing that really affected him was a decision he made in, um, in uh, oh, what was the year? I'm not, I think it was around 1718 when he and his wife, they go to Barbados. And so let me just uh, get the uh, screen. I want to just show you a couple pictures here. Um, when he goes to Barbados, um, the, the trip there, he, I mean, just uh, on the infamous middle passage, he, uh, he heard stories firsthand of just uh, the incredible atrocities that took place on, on slave ships in the Middle Passage on the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, you hear stories of rape, stories of killing, stories of, uh, it's just, it's brutal. And and he was outraged. He was outraged when he heard this because uh, he knew Acts 17, 26, where it says, and God made from one man to every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. All humanity, scripture taught, was made equal and with equal dignity and of one blood. And so whenever Lay began to write about um, those of African descent, it was really interesting. His language reflected his, these views. He never, he never used many of the words that uh, were used to describe um, the slaves, African slaves in the time period, words like savage, barbaric, inferior, uncivilized. In fact, Lay, he would use those terms, you know, savage, barbaric, inferior, and uncivilized, but he would use them for the European mistreatment of uh, Africans. And it was his experience in Barbados um, that really affected him, uh, cemented his abolitionist views, um, because he, he, they, they went there because there was a Quaker community there. Uh, but what they saw just turned their stomachs because, uh, it was the world's leading slave society. Uh, when he was there, there was about 9,000 Europeans and 70,000 African slaves. Lots of drunkenness, a lot of debauchery, a lot of barbarity. Um, he saw how the master class ruled the barbar, uh, the African slaves. Um, Benjamin witnessed this land of what he called, quote, barbarity and ill-got wealth. He saw slaves weakened and collapsing on the street. He saw exhausted, starving uh, workers beaten and tortured. He even had a friend um, who, um, you know, every Monday, every Monday, um, he was, he and his, and other slaves were, were beaten so badly until one point that the, the fellow uh, just committed suicide because he didn't, couldn't stand having another uh, Monday of uh, incurring such a beating. And what's fascinating about Benjamin and Sarah Lay is, you know what they did, eh? Is they, they, they started befriending many of the slaves there. 
and uh, they invited them to their home and they invited them um, to have lunch and to have, have meals at their home. And so some slaves came and then some more slaves came. And before you know it, from, from what we're, what we read, um, hundreds, hundreds of slaves show up and, uh, Benjamin and Sarah are, you know, cooking meals and serving them. And, and well, you can imagine how this went over with the, um, with the white ruling class. They were so mad at Benjamin and, and Sarah for ruining the social order of things. And so before long, Benjamin and Sarah, they, they leave Barbados. And one of the reasons why they left is that they, they felt they did not want to end up like these other Quakers who would just basically become these horrible people and they didn't want that to happen to themselves. So they go back to England. And now when he's in England, he, uh, Benjamin joins a number of um, Quaker communities um, first in London and then a place called uh, Colchester. And uh, now you have to realize this about Benjamin. Benjamin is, uh, he is a bit cantankerous. Uh, he is never hesitant to say what's on his mind. Now in a Quaker meeting, um, you have to realize that anybody, anybody can stand up and say something if they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, he, he never hesitated to be inspired by the Holy Spirit and stand up and shout down whoever was speaking, saying, you know, what you're teaching is, is, is rubbish. Sit down, you know, he would just constantly. And so he got into a lot of trouble with uh, a lot of the leaders in these churches. He gets kicked out of, uh, he and Sarah, they get kicked out of the London church. They go to Colchester, they join this other church or these meeting houses, that's uh, technically what they're called. And um, they get kicked out of that one uh, because Benjamin, he just keeps calling out people for, you know, um, things that he saw in their lives and hypocrisy and different things. He gets kicked out of that one. Then he's in a third place and it's not going that well, but it's okay. And then finally he's looking uh, to move. So he and Sarah, they want to move to, uh, to America, but in order to move to America, they need a letter of good standing. Well, the one, tour, the one meeting house in Colchester was not going to give them a, a letter of good standing. Uh, London was a little, was hesitant. Uh, finally, finally, they obtained a, a letter of, uh, of uh, a, refer- a reference letter, basically, from one of the meeting houses. And they took it with them, got on board a ship and sailed to the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Um, oh, this is a picture I took. <laughs> um, this is a, a picture that... Uh, um uh, i took up in um lancaster um it's the oldest um quaker meeting house in england uh so i was up there visiting hannah about a year ago and nobody was there i just walked in took pictures but uh, yeah this is a picture on the outside it was established i think in 1677 so in philadelphia um when they arrive in the in they, they arrive in the city of Philadelphia and that is a, has the second largest Quaker population. And uh, when he arrives in Philadelphia, I'll exit out for a little bit. Um, when he arrives in Philadelphia, it's interesting. He um, it's, it's a Quaker population. So he wants to get to know people. Uh, he arrives and he tries his hand as a bookseller, which warms my heart. Um, and, uh, and he did, did fairly well. And, and the thing about Benjamin Lay is he, he was quite talented. He, he could make a living at a lot of different skills that he picked up, especially as a sailor and growing up as well. He had to try, he learned different skills. Um, but it wasn't long when he was in Philadelphia before something began to agitate him. And what began to agitate him was this, uh, it was slavery. 
because he saw uh, that the four most prominent members of the Quaker community in Philadelphia were slave owners. And uh, he saw, this is ridiculous. These Quakers who are proclaiming peace, love of neighbor, to follow Jesus in the city of brotherly love were slave owners. And that just, he, he could not believe it. And so he decides, he decides. You know, he makes, a, he's friends with this one abolitionist, but this guy dies as the abolitionist dies. So Lay decides on his own that he's going to wage war on slavery in one of the largest cities in, in, uh, in the colonies, Philadelphia. And so he prays, he prays that God uh, would give him, quote, strength and courage to make war and engage against a so-called capital and enemy that is so dishonorable to God that all true religion, destructive to government and mankind in general. He referred to slavery as Goliath, who needed to be brought down. Benjamin would be like David and, quote, cut off his head and give a carcass with the all uncircumcised armies in all nations and countries to the beasts of the field. I mean, he's just, he's like, slavery needs to stop. And so in order to do this, what would he do? Well, he would, he would interrupt people during Quaker meetings. So you can see how this is going to go over, right? And so somebody who stand up and start to say, I, I feel inspired by the Holy Spirit and start to talk about the Bible. If, if, if Benjamin Lay knew that they were slave owners, he would stand up and say, shut up and sit down. You have no right to speak because you're a slave owner. Right? And so this isn't going well in some ways. And, and they get really mad at him. But this is... Now, this is just gold. Benjamin, like, you remember the guerrilla theater that I was telling you about? Just kind of like the, the, uh, the street theater that sometimes the Quakers would do. Well, ben, Benjamin, he was a master of this. So let me give you some examples of things that he did in order to make his point. This is awesome. In one Quaker meeting, he stood up and he had three smoking pipes. And he went up and he smashed one on the ground in front of the men. Took another one and smashed it on the ground in front of the women because they're kind of in separate areas. And then he smashed a third pipe and he said, and what he was doing when he's smashing these pipes in the, in the meetings is he's protesting the use of slave labor for the, for the production of tobacco, right? Um, at, another, <laughs> at another meeting house, Benjamin, he stood outside and it was, it was the dead of winter, Philadelphia in the winter, and it was freezing. And what does he do is he rolls up his, you know, the hose on his leg, what we would call pants, but they're hose back then, right? He'd roll, he'd roll it up and he'd stick his bare foot in the snow and bare leg. And he would just stand there. And people would be like, what are you doing? And one guy would say to him, you know, you can't do this. You're going to catch a cold. To which Benjamin said, ah, you pretend compassion for me. But you do not feel for the poor slaves in your fields who go all winter half clad. Once he was invited to this prominent Quaker's home for lunch. And he's sitting down to lunch. And as he's about to eat, he looks up and he sees there's a slave that's about to serve him. And he says to the guy, he goes, is that, is that your slave? And the guy goes, yes. And so he pushes, he pushed back, he pushes back his plate stood up from the table and he says, I'm not going to partake with you or the fruits of your unrighteousness. And he walks out. 
which again, in a highly stratified society, that is quite interesting. <laughs> one time, one time there was a Quaker who was who was in one of the meetings, and and uh, the preacher, the guy who was preaching, he referred to a voice from heaven, <laughs> and Benjamin yells out, "From thy life and thy preaching, I question very much whether or not you heard a voice from heaven." He goes, "I'm sure if you did hear a voice from heaven, you've never obeyed it." He says this to everybody in, in the meeting. <laughs> the guy's so mad, so mad. He finds a bullwhip and he chases Benjamin down. He's trying to trying to get the get the guy. <laughs> and uh, not surprisingly, the uh, leaders of society, the leaders of Philadelphia, are not happy with this bothersome dwarf, and they make it their mission to take this guy out. And they do so in a number of ways. One, they would mock him whenever they could. They would ridicule him for his size. Secondly, they actually they actually hired police to be at every one of the meeting houses. And if they saw Benjamin coming, to basically pick him up and throw him out and say, you can't come in. Third, they removed him from fellowship. Um, they, uh, the, one of the uh, meeting houses in, in uh, Colchester in, in England sent this nasty note, and they used that note to kind of discredit uh, Benjamin and uh, and they kind of use it to separate, try to separate, uh, put a wedge between him and his wife. But Benjamin's not deterred. I mean, this guy's got moxie. I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> one time, so one time they actually pick him up and they throw him out the door. They literally throw him out the door. He lands in a big pile of mud. And so, what does he do? He lies in the mud just outside the door and makes every person leaving the meeting house step over him. <laughs> and every person that steps over him, he says something to them about, about slavery and how wrong it is. And, and there's one time after Sarah had died, she had uh, died in 1735 after 17 years of marriage. What uh, Benjamin Lay did once is he took, he took her expenses. She had an expensive set of China and he took, this expensive set of china into this public square. And he took one cup, teacup, and he smashes it. It's worth a lot of money. He smashes it. And he says, this is what's going to happen to you if you continue to support slavery. Takes another one. And people are starting to say, hey, what are you doing? This is expensive. He says, I don't care. Smash. This is what's going to happen to you if you continue to support slavery. Well, people are starting to freak out because this is expensive China. He's wrecking it publicly and he's about to do another one. And the story goes that there's this hooligan, this thug kind of walks underneath Benjamin Lay, lifts him up and runs away with him. And then people kind of looked after the China so it didn't get smashed. So anyhow, but, but the most notorious stunt that Benjamin pulled off, let me tell you about this. Oh, this is the story. He takes this takes place on September 19th, 1738. Benjamin, he enters this meeting house, Quaker meeting house in New Jersey. He walked 30, he walked 30 miles to get to this meeting, eating nothing but um, uh, acorns and peaches along the way. He arrives. And this is a big meeting. It's kind of like the uh, national assembly you know kind of like the big conference that they hold every so often i don't know it's it's, it's a big group of people gathered of uh, quakers so 
he's sitting there. Everybody's, you know, as they're feeling led by the spirit, would stand up and say something. And Benjamin waited, waited for his turn. Now, when he walked in, he was wearing this big coat. And the coat was up like this. And when it came to his turn, when it came to the right time, what does he do? He stands up on the table, pulls off his coat, revealing a military uniform underneath. But that's not all. He's also got a sword. Draws out the sword. He doesn't just have a sword. He has a Bible. He pulls out the Bible. Now, what people don't know is that Benjamin actually hollowed out the book. And inside the book, he took a bladder and he filled it with pokeberry juice, this red juice, and tied it off and stuck it back in and closed it. And he stands up, he goes, those of you who support slavery, you need to realize that, and he stabs the Bible and says, the blood is on your head. And as he did it, the red juice goes down his arms and people, women are swooning. They're passing out. And he stands up and he takes the poke bear juice and he spatters it over all the slave owners. And he says, this blood is on your head. Well, the place erupts in chaos. They pick him up and they throw him out. Um, and he's as calm as he can be, but they, 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 they turf him out. And then finally, like, so the leadership in all this, they are, we are done with this guy. We are so done with him. And so they condemn him officially. And this is the condemnation. It reads, we have therefore thought fit to give public notice that we do not esteem the said Benjamin Lay to be a member of our religious community, but a disorderly and obstinate person, one who slights the advice of friends, imposes on them his preaching, and that he disregards a prince or the peace of the church. Now, it's interesting. So Benjamin, this is basically his fourth time getting kicked out of a church. And I don't know of any story of anybody being kicked out of church that many times he was disowned in london colchester philadelphia and abingdon to the north of philadelphia um but he had he was not deterred and so he wrote a book and so let me show you the book uh, that he wrote this is kind of cool and the book he wrote was this book here and it was called all slave keepers oh hang on let me bring it up here all slave keepers that keep the innocent in bondage, apostates. And it's published in 1738. And you know who publishes it? This is Benjamin Franklin. Now, Benjamin Franklin originally publishes it anonymously. He doesn't say that it was him who published it. But later on, when Benjamin Lay became a little more popular, he, he kind of bragged about the fact that he had uh, published, published the work. Uh, but at this time, things are still a little volatile. So the book is remarkable. On one hand, it's, it's, it's quite odd, uh, like the author. It's not easy to follow. It's full of all sorts of anecdotes, uh, lots of scripture. Uh, one of the things about Benjamin is he's always very self-conscious about his, uh, his education, the lack of formal education. Uh, there's prayer that uh, weaves its way through it, lots of scripture. One part it says, O Lord God Almighty, I trust, dearest one, Thou wilt be pleased to stop and end this practice, slavery. That is more like hell than heaven, to be sure. And it's interesting. Sometimes um, sometimes uh, Benjamin took on the voice of an African slave in Barbados. It's interesting. And it's because um, it, it, it tells us actually he, he, he uh, paid attention enough to listen very closely 
to transcribe the sounds of African speech. Um, but he also he also put words in the mouth of Quaker uh, slave owners. And uh, this is all, oh, this is one thing he puts in the, into the mouth of a, a Quaker slave owner, which I'm sure he actually heard. But he's, he's just pointing out the hypocrisy of these Quaker slave owners. He says, here's an example where the slave owner would say these words, quote, this is from Benjamin's book, quote, Negro, fetch my best gelding, my best horse quickly, because I need to ride to the meeting. I, I need to go to church to preach the gospel of glad tidings to all men and liberty to the captives and opening the prison doors to them that are bound. But hey, I'll keep you in bondage nevertheless. Help yourself if you can. I mean, he just, he does not pull his punches. And so the book has this real prophetic feel and voice. Um, lots of quotations from the book of Revelation. And uh, through his through his book, he, um, he tries to... Um, he, he talks about uh, four different groups of people and uh, the four different groups of people are, are, are these. He says, there's the people who are opposed to slavery. Secondly, there are people who are opposed to slavery, but are too scared to say anything. Thirdly, there's people who support slavery. And then fourthly, there's the slave owners. And what he wanted to do is unite the first two groups and then convince the second, the third group to join them to take out the fourth group. Um, and so, you know, anytime anyone in any meeting tried to speak under the voice of the Holy Spirit, you know, like in these meetings, Lay was right there. He goes, how? You got nothing to say. You got nothing to say. Sit down. If you're saying you're, you're inspired by the Holy Spirit and you own slaves, you got nothing to say. You're a hypocrite. Sit down. Like he would just shut them down every single time. And so he's always being thrown out of these Quaker gatherings, but he didn't care. Kept coming back. And, um, yeah, I mean, Lay was, he's a remarkable person in many ways. Um, he's, uh, yeah, he was always self-conscious about his lack of education, but in, he was a bit of an autodidact. He was a self-taught person. And um, he had a library, a personal library of 200 books, which in the 18th century is, is pretty significant. And um, there's a number of things that really influence um, Benjamin Lay. One, obviously, is scripture. He was immersed in scripture. But two, there's a couple people um, that were, um, uh, you were quite, you know, um, significant in the uh, 17th century um, that, you know, Benjamin Lay, he would read and they, they influenced him. Um, but one of the guys that really influenced Benjamin Lay, and this is going to come as a surprise, the, the one who influences him is, is a figure from the fifth century BC, a, a cynic named Diogenes. Yeah. So this fellow Diogenes, who's, you know, the, the kind of the founder of, of cynic philosophy, when you think of cynicism, I mean, this is where it comes from. What were some of the characteristics of Diogenes? Well, he lived a simple life. He was a vegetarian. Um, he practiced fearless speech, self-sufficiency, self-denial, moral toughness, attacked wealth and high standings. Sounds a lot. That's why a lot of people called him the Quaker Diogenes, <laughs> because he's quite influenced by this guy. Now, all these characteristics um, play out in this one story. Let me tell you this one other story. <laughs> this, this is Benjamin in a nutshell. So he, he's walking along the street, right? And there's this kind of this, this uh, higher class fella, and then he sees Benjamin you know, this, this dwarf walking along and, 
he and his buddies, they want to have fun and they want to make fun of Benjamin. And so he comes up to Benjamin and, uh, and he tries to use this fancy deferential gentlemanly language. And he says to uh, Benjamin, he goes, oh, be- oh, you know, Mr. Lay, he goes, I, what was his name? John McPherson. I, John McPherson, I am your most humble servant. And Benjamin goes, really? He goes, yes, I am your most humble servant. He goes, you're my humble servant. Why, yes. He goes, all right. He's, he lifts up his foot. He goes, clean my boot. <laughs> Guy goes, what? He goes, you say you're my servant. Clean my boot. Let's see you clean my boot. That's what servants do. Well, <laughs> this guy, he starts getting all embarrassed. Everyone's laughing. And so he's trying to redeem himself. And this guy, he's a captain, this guy. Um, he's, he's then, he says to Benjamin, trying to change the subject, he says, ah, you know, Mr. Lay, tell me about what is the way to heaven? You know, wanting to mock his religion. And so Benjamin says, really? He says, do you really want to be taught? McPherson says, oh, of course I do. And then Benjamin seriously looked at, they looked at him and he quotes Micah. He goes, do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And McPherson was just kind of left, uh, let's go boys. And so they left. But I, I mean, that's just kind of Benjamin in a nutshell. You get a little, you know, a picture of what he's like. Now, what happens is uh, Benjamin, when he gets older, uh, when he hits his seventies, his mind is sharp, but his, his body starts to slow down. He lived, let me show you a, a, kind of some pictures of, uh, there's not many, there's three and they all kind of look the same, but let me just show you these. It gives you an idea of uh, Benjamin. Let's see. Um, yeah, I'll show you these ones here. These are two, uh, two main pictures, very similar pictures. Um, he lived he lived in a homestead. He lived in a cave. Um, and uh, he lived off the land. He loved animals. Again, he hated cruelty. He had a beehive on his land, ate some honey, never disturbed the bees, though, apparently. Um, he uh, he had apparently had zero living expenses, except for when he bought books, which, again, warms my heart. Um, and it, interesting. In 1758, change was finally forthcoming. In 1758, now I have to get the years here. This is long before Wilberforce uh, and, and the abolitionist movement in, in uh, England. That's more towards the end of the 1700s. So 1758, the Philadelphia yearly meeting, so this Quaker meeting, they began, they agreed to initiate a pro, uh, process to discipline anyone who owned slaves. Isn't that cool? And uh, this is really early. And so somebody came and they told Benjamin this when he's quite old. And when Benjamin heard the news that they are actually, the Quakers were going to clamp down against slavery, he says, he fell silent. And in a few moments, he rose from his chair and he said, thanksgiving and praise be rendered unto God. Now I can die in peace. And he dies uh, and he's placed in an, um, oh, hang on, in an unmarked grave. This is a picture of it. Uh, the exact um, location to this day is, is, is unknown. When he died, uh, he was very generous. He gave away, he had actually accumulated quite a bit of money because he never spent anything. Um, 
And he, he just gave away all of his money to the poor, gave uh, five pounds to anyone in England, wanting any Quaker in England that wanted to, to travel to, uh, to move to America. Um, he was quite influential in some of the uh, Quakers that took up the abolitionist cause after him, a guy named John Woolman, who's a very uh, important figure, um, was most likely present when, when uh, Benjamin Lay did the whole stab the, the Bible thing. Um, he was, uh, his book was one of the, uh, it was a fourth earliest uh, anti-slavery treatise. Um, it was read by his later biographer, um, uh, Benjamin Rush, who was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. It was read by Thomas Clarkson, uh, who was a, if you know Clarkson, he was a key abolitionist with, um, with Wilberforce, which is interesting because, let me just see if I have a picture here. Hang on. Uh, yeah, that's not what I'm going to show you. Hang on. Uh, I'm getting there. Okay, this is interesting. Thomas Clarkson, here, uh, put together a family tree, basically showing how the abolitionist movement came about. And you see all these different tributaries and different influences on the abolitionist movement. But in, out of all these little rivers, look up here. Look whose name you see there. Benjamin Lay. And Benjamin Lay, one of his influences, um, uh, he was basically influenced by, by three main things. One is his experience, um, especially in Barbados, and his life as a Quaker. Uh, his beliefs, you know, he, when you met Lay, it wasn't like he was saying, well, let's, you know, gradually change. He basically, you'd meet him and he says, all right, which side are you on? Choose today which side you're going to be on. <laughs> like there was no, it was, there was an immediatism to him. And I think that goes back to his Quaker roots which says you know you can immediately experience god and he says you know you can immediately know what's right so do the right thing um and um he had a lot of friendships despite all the fact that he, he made people angry and it's his personality i think was a big influence um he could be humorous he could be very funny he could be alarming aggressive difficult stubborn he was you know he was a man of strife and i think you know he struggled in character wise because he just ticked everybody off. But I, you know, I also think he had a lot of friends. So there's a different side to him that, uh, but he had a prophetic voice. And um, I think part of his experience that uh, big impact was the fact that he knew what it was like to be an outsider. He, he, he was so adamant to, to help uh, the, the abolitionist cause to end slavery because he knew what it was like to be an outsider. He knew what it was like to be treated uh, poorly. Um, he knew what it was like, uh, you know, to be laughed at, to be uh, ridiculed as a, as a dwarf and a hunchback. Um, and I think his experience on the margins of life gave him some empathy for those who are on the margins of life, margins of the world. So he lived a remarkable life. And I think one of the things he's, he challenged me is um, to ask the question, what would I do for the sake of the gospel? How seriously do I take the call to follow Jesus? And will I consist? And will I will I live a life that is in sync with um, with what God says? Um, do I really take God at His word? Do I take it seriously? And so th those are some of the things about uh, Benjamin Lay. I'm, I'm just conscious of time. Um, what we could do is um, 
is I will uh, close in prayer if you have to go. But then let's, let's talk a little bit about Benjamin. Is that okay? Sorry, I had to get in his whole story, so I had to forego some of the conversation because, I mean, those stories are so cool. But let me, let me pray, then we'll officially end, and then uh, we can have some conversation, okay? So let me pray, and uh, we'll go from here. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your servant. You use all different people to carry out your purposes. Um, you use uh, eccentrics uh, like Benjamin Lay. You use all different people. And so we thank you. We're thankful for uh, the witness, uh, the prophetic witness of Benjamin Lay, um, who was just who was very forthright, um, very clear what was right and what was wrong, especially in this area. So may we learn from him. And may we apply this to our own lives that we would, have the courage to uh, to stand up even when um, there's so much uh, pressure against us. But we thank you for him and may we learn from him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.